Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 77 and today I'm going to be looking at a topic that you probably don't think about that much. I'm going to talk about baptism. I'm going to talk about Jesus' baptism and hopefully I'm going to connect the dots to our own baptism. And our passage is Mark 1 and I'm also going to be looking at Romans 6. I want to talk about what actually happens in baptism. Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Uh, how can it how can baptism help me if I can't even remember it? Right? Many of us can't remember our baptism. Some of us have been baptized a couple times and remember the second time. Uh, Some of us aren't sure we've been baptized at all. Should we even be baptized? What's it all about? Why is it important? So, first of all, let me just add that the reason that we do baptize is because Jesus told us to. And that's good enough reason, right? Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Don't have time to go into that verse just now, but that's the reason why the church baptizes is because we're following Jesus' example and because Jesus said this is a good thing to do. And Paul and St. Paul in Romans chapter 6 fleshes that whole idea out for us. We're going to be looking at that later on. But first, here's the story of Jesus' baptism. And I'm giving you the, a really brief overview here. In Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, Matthew tells us that Jesus is traveling to the Jordan River where his cousin, John the Baptizer, was baptizing. Now, by way of chronological order, Jesus' ministry hasn't begun yet. So we're at the very front end of his ministry. It hasn't happened. When he is baptized in the Jordan River, that's when his ministry begins. It's a very short time that he's teaching and healing and gathering his disciples. It's only three years, and it begins when he's baptized. He went to the Jordan River to see his cousin, John the Baptizer, and he wanted to be baptized by John. Now, the passage tells us that John, his cousin, wasn't comfortable baptizing him. And John said, well, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And the passage tells us that John tried to deter him. And the reason was, the reason was is that John's baptism was for people who were really ready to make a life change. John's ritual of dunking people in the river was an outward sign to everyone watching and for the person themselves that they were saying, I'm really serious about this. I'm I'm really open to God. And if there's anything that's getting in the way, I'm prepared to stop saying anything, thinking anything, doing anything that's offensive to God or to people. Now, that the Bible's word for that is repentance. But John's ministry was all about calling people back to faithfulness. 
Now I'll tell you an interesting little thing I just thought about this week, that really in the New Testament with the people that Jesus worked with, there, there's no such thing as an unbeliever in those days. You know, we can have atheists today. Uh, there's no such thing in Jesus' day. Really, in Jesus' day, there seems to be the people that he worked with, because this is a, he's Jewish and all his people are Jewish. There's basically two categories of people. There are faithful people and there are unfaithful people. But everyone believes in God. That's a, that's a later development where people choose whether or not to believe in God. The people that Jesus worked with and lived with and met with, they were either faithful people or they were unfaithful people. But there wasn't, wasn't this question of, I don't believe in God. That wasn't a part of the way that the people thought at that time 2,000 years ago. So John had this calling and we've looked at John before. John had this calling of gathering everyone together and saying, God's going to do a new thing. God's going to bring the Messiah. Are you ready? And the people who were open were baptized. Jesus came to John, asked to be baptized. Reluctantly, John does baptize him. Jesus wants to be baptized. See, for Jesus, Jesus sees the bigger picture. And Jesus says, so no, it's necessary for me to be baptized at this time. So even though John the Baptist didn't really understand why, why would he need to baptize Jesus? Jesus is already faithful. Jesus is already listening to God. Jesus is already open and following. But nonetheless, because Jesus insisted, John the baptizer baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. And Mark tells us that when that happened, when he's down in the waters of baptism, down into the Jordan River, up out of the waters of the Jordan River, the heavens tear apart and the Spirit of God descends. It's like this power, this energy descends upon him, gentle like a dove, and he's empowered for his ministry. So as far as John's concerned, baptism was a sign that you were turning away from all your your sins and your moral failings and your bad habits and your addictions. But for Jesus, baptism is far, far more than that. In fact, John even said when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? What does it mean to be baptized with Spirit and with fire? Well, John the Baptizer and all the other disciples and students, they really wouldn't grasp the significance of baptism until much, much, much later. Really, until after Jesus dies and is resurrected. So I'm going to fast forward three years of Jesus' entire life. And at this point, he has finished his, he's been baptized. He has three years of teaching and healing. He dies on the cross, he's resurrected on Easter Sunday. He appears to his disciples, he commissions them. 
And then, about 60 years later, the Apostle Paul, he's the one that wrote three quarters of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul reflects upon the baptism of Jesus. And of course, obviously, the guy's inspired by the Spirit of God. He begins to connect the dots for us. And when you look at the book of Romans, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, New Testament, discusses at great length baptism. And Paul starts to flesh out for us the bigger picture that John the Baptist never really did grasp the day that he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Now, Paul describes for us what happens in baptism, which for the first students, the first followers of Christ, it was usually connected. Baptism in the New Testament is closely connected to conversion or the day that someone starts to follow or the day that someone puts their trust in Christ. In other words, the pattern uh, in the New Testament is Someone decides to follow Christ. Someone decides to uh, walk in his ways. And then they got baptized as a sign. They got baptized that this sort of union has taken place. That's the usual pattern in the New Testament. Uh, the message is spoken. The people believe they're baptized. It's a sign. It's a sign of this union. Or in some ways, actually, the New Testament likens it to a marriage. This is a common uh, metaphor in the New Testament. Now, for those of you who are married, for those of you who are partnered, you've ever been committed to someone for any length of time, you know that when you're joined to someone, when you join and share your life with someone, all the joys and all the sorrows of that union are yours, right? If your partner is sad or sick or anxious, you're affected, right? Or if your spouse is happy and successful and things are going well, you're going to be uplifted. Now, the, the scripture likens... Our relationship, the relationship between us and Christ, like a bride and groom. The church is always the, seen as the bride. So if I'm the bride and if Christ is the groom, we're joined. We, we're joined in some mystical way. We're in some kind of union. There's lots and lots of ways of talking about this. There's many, many different ways of talking about it. You can be talking about it by saying um, we're yoked together. You can say uh, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You can say his spirit dwells in me, the spirit of Christ dwells in me. I am his, he is mine. There's so many ways to talk about it. But it's that whole idea that when I am partnered with Christ, what happens to the groom affects me because we're joined, we're together. I share the benefits given to me as a bride. Now, I know this is really heavy with metaphor, uh, 
language fails us really when we talk about these mystical experiences. So we're, we kind of do the best we can with the language that we have. But one of the ways that the New Testament describes our, our union with the divine is through the metaphor of a, a bride and a groom. Okay, so on to Romans 6. All this to say, St. Paul, Romans chapter 6, reflects on baptism. And he, ex then he starts to explain to us what actually happens when we have union with this Christ. He says, if we have been united with him, that's Jesus, if we have been united with him, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He says, we know that our old self was crucified. Now, old self, think ego. Think all the unhelpful patterns of behavior that you find yourself locked into. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body, again, think flesh, sarks, think ego, so that the body slash ego ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, remember, the guy's a theologian. You, you have to read this two or three times. Basically, what he's saying is, you know all these bad habits that you have, like worry, and you know when you overly control someone in your household? Or when you're so envious of someone that you can't enjoy what you have? You know these times when you get so discontent that you just don't know what you're going to do with yourself? You know that addiction that you can't overcome? Paul is saying, let me tell you about God's spirit that dwells in you, that has the power to help you overcome anything. Anything. There's nothing so damaging that's happened to you that God's power cannot power over. Why? Because you're joined with Christ. Remember? You're in union with Christ. And what happens to him happens to you. You get all the benefits. There's nothing so damaging. There's nothing so limiting. There's no, nothing so troubling that this indwelling power of God cannot conquer and ultimately give you victory. Which looks like in our lives, it feels like, oh, thank God I'm free from that. I didn't think I was ever going to go over that, but I did. That's what it feels like emotionally. It's like you think, you say to yourself, I don't know how I'll go through that time. I, don't, I have no idea how I'll go through that, but I did. And on reflection, that's got to be God helping me because I don't know how I made it. I don't know how I did that. So Paul is saying, Romans 6, when you're partnered to Christ, when, you're, when you are in union with Christ, 
If he died and was resurrected, you can expect the same. If he was set free from all his temptations, you can be too. Because he's modeling for us how we can live and thrive in this world. And remember for Jesus, when he said, I have come that you might have abundant life, he's talking about present tense. He's not talking about something that kicks in after we die. Now, what kicks in after we die, no doubt will be a wonderful thing, but most of us are concerned about today, right? Most of us aren't necessarily thinking about when we die. Um, baptism, our union with Christ, it's like we're in this together. We're in this together. We're in this life together, yes, and we're in this death together too. And there is no death with Christ. It's like we're in this together. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's another lovely phrase from Colossians. Christ in you. Call it the Holy Spirit. Call it the light of Christ. Call it the breath of God. Call it the Spirit of God, the energy of God. Call it the Holy Ghost if you want, if you like the old version. Remember the old King James, the Holy Ghost? The fact is, is that God's with us. And in baptism, the Spirit comes upon Jesus. And in baptism, Jesus is empowered for the task that lies ahead. So in the New Testament, it's all kind of tied up together. The Spirit of God or the energy of God. Baptism, closely tied together. You'll see this pattern in the book of the Acts. Oh, and let me add too, lest we get too um, technical here. You can ask for the Holy Spirit anytime you want. I mean, you can get top-ups, in other words, right? St. Paul said, um, Ephesians 18, be filled with the Spirit, he's saying. Yeah, you can ask for more anytime you want. It's not limited to baptism. I mean, God's not limited in anything, right? So if you're feeling weak, and if you feel like you're living in your own strength, actually, we always know when we're living in our own strength because when we persistently live in our own strength, we get absolutely worn out. So when, when we're feeling weak, and if we're living in our own strength, it's like we have to be encouraged and remember, hey, you know, it's not all up to you. Remember, you have the energy of God within you. You have this, the comforter, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit within, the breath of God. All there, all there. Paul would say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember one of the very first books that I ever read as a, a new follower was about maybe 22 years old at the time. I was walking up George Street, 121 George Street. They used to have a bookstore there. The Church of Scotland used to have its bookstore there. don't know if it's still there. But I went into that bookstore and I picked up a copy of Larry Christensen's The Renewed Mind. It was all about the Holy Spirit. I had never, ever heard of the Holy Spirit, didn't know anything about it. And he gave this really simple little illustration that has stuck with me my entire ministry. Really simple. And he said, he was talking about how important the Spirit is to our lives. 
And Larry Christensen said, what gasoline is to a car, the Holy Spirit is to living the life Christ called us to. Isn't that great? What petrol is to a car, right? If you don't have any petrol, you're not going to go anywhere, right? You don't have any petrol, you're not going to go anywhere. What gasoline is to a car, the Holy Spirit is to living the life Christ calls us to. In other words, you can't really follow Christ without the Spirit because we're often called and required to do things that are beyond us. In other words, it, it's too difficult. Um, following Christ isn't really about, it's not like a therapy session where you improve over the months. It, it doesn't really work that way. It's not really all about self-effort. Um, it's, it's too difficult really for that. For example, I mean, how can you truly love someone that really is unlovable? You know, how can you do that? Or, or how can you forgive someone who has truly hurt you? How can you forgive someone that's really damaged you in a severe way? Well, you can't really, can you? I mean, it's impossible to do these things alone. Um, how can you put God first in, in all your decisions and your choices and wait until you know for sure what God is leading you to say or to do? These are counterintuitive things. These aren't easy. These don't come naturally to us. You know, I mean, these little phrases that the scriptures say, you know, what does God require of you? Well, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. Okay, well, how do you do that? You know, we need help with these things because willpower isn't enough. You know, so in your spiritual life, in your life with God, if you find yourself getting tired and you find out that your own willpower isn't enough, that's really a sure sign that we need to uh, look more to the Spirit. That's why Jesus told his students, it's the Spirit that gives you life. It's the Spirit that gives you life. It's like we need to learn how to draw on another power. Or you could say we need to learn how to walk in another power. When, when we begin something challenging, when we begin something new, we have to learn how to walk in that or lean into that presence when we're depleted. Or move forward in that power when we need courage. It's all about spirit-led living. It's kind of like staying in temple with the spirit. You know, you want to be, uh, it's like a song. If you're up, When you're playing a song and you're off tempo, you can feel it. it. You can feel it in your body when you're off. You're playing your guitar or you're playing whatever instrument you play with, with other people. And when you're out of tempo, immediately there's this jarring sense. Okay, well, it's a similar sort of thing happens when you are moving in the power of the Spirit, there's a smooth, there's like a groove that you can move into and it's easier. It's easier because God's with you. You're in 
You're yoked together. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things spirit-led. It's like I'm in that groove with Christ. There's the heart cry. There's the prayer. There's the prayer. Help me to move in the direction your spirit's moving. Help me to live in its flow so that it's not all up to me. Baptize me again and again and again in this wonderful, amazing Spirit of God. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.